This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Hello and welcome back. I'm Ken Smithers, professor here at the Wharton School. You're listening to your Money Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Rest of the show, I have a financial planner with me, Tom Meyer. Uh, back in studio, taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know how to invest your money, save for retirement, kids, college, anything related to your money, live on Tuesdays, grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Go back to the phone lines, like forty five seconds here. Welcome back to studio, Tom Meyer, CEO of Meyer Capital Group in Marlton, uh, New Jersey. His grandfather founded the firm in nineteen sixty three as a fee only firm. Not very common back then. Over fifty. years years ago. And uh, welcome back to this, this studio, Tom. Kent, thanks. Always a pleasure. And he, uh, Tom is qu- quite devoted. He, he had a, quite an adventure the last time he was here, getting home with a flat tire, I guess. Yeah, and pouring so, rain. Pouring rain. So I appreciate you coming back. Uh, so tell us, I'll go back to Florence in just a minute here. Tom, tell us, uh, remind us a little bit about your firm. If you have a typical client, what's yours she like? Sure. Well, as you said, my grandfather truly was a pioneer, taught yeah. me everything about the fee-only business. Business. I came in about 1982 when the Dow mm. was at 780. <laughs> Honestly, I don't feel that old. Um, <laughs> but as all my friends were selling um, tax shelters, oh, remember yeah. those? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, 10, 12 oh, percent. That's all before the 1986 tax reform. That right? is yeah, correct. Yeah, and then yeah. they were rendered worthless after that. Yeah, yeah, but they right. still got their big time commission. My grandfather yeah. said, "Hey, you got to do what's right by clients 100 percent of the time. This is the way to do it." And yep. the rest is history. Yep. So good. Welcome back. Thanks so much, time. And uh, let me go right back to the phone lines. Jason, uh, you're up. Uh, how can I help you, man, from Florida? Hi, Ken. Um, pretty much I was in the cliche scenario where everybody says when you're renting a house, you're pretty much throwing money away. Um, I'm 33 years old um, and I'm about 115 with my job and I have some extra Another thirty to forty thousand that comes in from flipping houses on the side. Um, I recently just purchased my first home last July, and I've never purchased home, never really researched too too much in it. But I did err on the caution side of going with a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, even though I was approved up to four hundred thousand. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And so I uh, I want to play it season sorry because you never know what the future holds. Yeah. So I did not want to get stuck in that situation to where you lose your job sure. and you can't afford your real estate payment, mortgage payment. Yeah. So my mortgage payment's only a thousand fifty dollars. Not so, bad at all. And what's the rate? Um, I, what's the rate? They have four point nine nine, and I was told that it was going. That's decent at that time because it's considered a low rate mortgage. That if it was going to be two hundred fifty thousand or higher, the rate would have been dropped down a lot more. Oh, okay. So I'm it's not sure four point nine nine percent. Yeah, it's basically five percent. And the the point is, is that it sounds like you didn't pay a lot of points, and so as a result, um, they have to kind of make their money somehow. They're charging a high interest rate uh, uh, for that. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I, okay. I believe I did like a zero point two five points sure. on it, and yeah. I only did forty six hundred dollars down payment instead okay. of a twenty percent. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, the biggest thing that was a shocker to me is, of course, once the first mortgage payment comes in and you look at it and you're like, hey, $198 goes to principal. Yeah. Here's another 700 going to interest, which yeah. to me is throwing money away again. Yeah. So that one was a little bit 
All right. So when your what, what's your question is that what? So you said you you were breaking up earlier. You said that one hundred fifteen something about one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. That's a, a savings that you have, or is that your income? What, what was that? That's my income with okay. my eight to five job. Okay. And so, what is the um, then uh, the the question here is that uh, how to maybe pay off the mortgage a little bit faster versus doing other things, or what? What is it? Yeah, so when I'm looking at like an amortized loan, loan payment program for 30 years, um, I notice that if I'm able to just pay off a lot of principal payments up front, yeah. I can drop my 30-year loan to be at the level of like a 15. Sure, yeah. So it's, on that 30-year loan. So how much more would you like, put? How much more would you pay off every month? Uh, how much more would you do? Like 500 bucks or what? Uh, no, easily like a thousand. Okay, a thousand bucks. So, and uh, are you con- also contributing to a retirement plan that, right now? Um, what else are you doing? For, for no, a... I've recently got into house flipping with a family member of mine, okay. and so I've actually taken a large loan out of my four hundred one k due to whoa, the whoa. So this income, this one hundred fifteen thousand dollars income, is this a result of your house flipping, or uh, you said it's an eight to five job, but that's not. Your house flipping, that's a... Is it, is, no, house, okay. house flipping so this, is completely a side gig. Okay, so this is $115,000. Uh, is it fairly stable income, pretty safe income? Yeah, probably for the next four or five years. Okay, and this house flipping, um, let's not even worry about the income coming in from a... It's, it's a pretty risky thing. Uh, how much do you have yep. in your 401k? Uh after the loan right now, around 60000 60000 And how, what, what kind of loan did you take out of your 401k? A uh, 15-year loan for about 30000 30000 Do you know what the interest rate on that is? Uh, I pay, not sure what the interest rate was. It was low. My monthly okay. payment to repay it back was 185 a month. Yeah, it's hard for me to do the calculation off the top of my head on the interest rate. I mean, a lot of times people say the interest rate doesn't really matter. You're kind of paying yourself. That logic isn't quite right. But nonetheless, um, I think uh, we, we want to kind of focus to certainly uh, get into certainly some retirement um, assets. And the 401k, are you, is it all stocks that you're holding or holding any bonds right now? Um, not too sure on that okay. one. It's one right. of those managed uh, retire at twenty fifty right. retirement. Yeah, loan. so it probably has a little little bonds. I won't be surprised. It's like some like 80 percent stocks, twenty percent bonds at this point. All right, so so Tom, uh, those are the facts. I mean, uh, your thoughts in terms of it's really should they pay off a mortgage a little bit faster, or should they try to pay off you know get back into that four hundred one k and make you know beef up his retirement a little bit faster. Well, that whole four hundred one k threw me for a curveball. Obviously, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I hate to. You know, here with that, and I get it from the investment side. But let me tell you, uh, from a former flipper, uh, you 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 get caught holding a bag one time, oh. and that loan's going to come back to haunt you. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's a very okay. scary thing. And you know, if if you have the opportunity, if you flip and you can pay that loan off, and I wouldn't touch your four hundred one k. You know, you can borrow for uh, investment. You can't borrow for your retirement. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And in particular, uh, uh, Jason, what I would tell you is, you know, it's a dangerous leverage game that you're playing right now because um, that $30,000 also becomes due if you separate from your job, that 8 to 5, you know, p.m. job. That $30,000 becomes due typically 30 days, 60 days. Um, and if you don't, um, uh, uh, you know, pay it back within within that period, then, it, you know, it, it qualifies as a distribution. So now you face both penalties and pretty hefty tax rate on it as well. And so what I would really do is do everything to get um, that $30,000 back into your 401k. Still make contributions to your 401k. Let's, and then if you know you can get on a – I mean, you have a pretty decent income for Florida. It sounds like – I didn't ask you your whole marital situation and so forth, but it sounds like you're probably, with $115,000 a year, probably have reasonable expenses and probably reasonable cash flow. So what I would be doing, instead of house flipping, and I know it's tempting in a place like Florida, but keep in mind, lots of, uh, you know, it feels like 2005 again. Everybody excited, uh, but you guys just be super careful. Yeah, r- 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 really um, beef up that 401k. Get it, get get that 30000 back in. What a lot of people will tell you is 4.99%, you know, 5%. That's not such a bad, uh, you know, return to be, you know, paying to a bank because after all, you know, on uh, the stock market, you can do better and so forth. That's not adjusting, you know, that logic doesn't adjust for risk. Uh, this is a risk-free rate that you're paying for your home loan of 5%. And by the way, you know, also you're paying PMI likely at this point as well on top of that. So what I, I would do is first priority is shore up that 401k, at least get that 30,000 bucks back in in there. And then the second t- uh, point there is then figure out how much you should be making additional contributions to that 401k. To at least if you get employer match, make sure you for sure get that employer match. Um, that's going to be better than anything. Um, it, it, and if uh, it, figure out uh, some tax savings from, from that. So that's kind of your second step there after you get that 30000 back in your 401k. Um, it, it make sure you at least get the employer match. Your third thing is I mean, make sure you have a decent emergency account. Um, because you're borrowing against your 401k. That's really scary. It tells me you don't have a big emergency account. Um, so that is what you should really be doing, especially if you're in this business of house flipping. Um, and then, only then, I would come back to this, this, to this mortgage. It's a pretty high interest rate on a risk-free basis. And so I, if you get those other things done and you get an emergency account, uh, at least three to six months worth of expenses, depending on how variable your income of your eight-to-five job is, I would then... Um, would pay off your uh, your home a little bit faster. Um, uh, once you so once you got your thirty thousand back in your four hundred one k, once you got the employer match of additional contributions, once you have that emergency account uh, there, then I would return to that home. And the reason why is a five percent risk free payment um, is pretty high, and plus then you can get out of PMI uh, eventually. But that's the order I'd be stacking things. So thanks so much, Colin Jason. Really appreciate it. Good luck with that. And again, speak of Tom Meyer, give us a call. Love that you answer our questions here at one eight four. Four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Net calling North Carolina. How can I help you, Net? Thank you, Dr. Smithers, for taking sure. my call. I have a quick question. Yeah. I researched this on the web. Can a seventy-three-year-old take out a Roth IRA? I couldn't find anything definitive. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting question, and because you know you're at the above the age of uh, required uh, minimum distributions, um, and so at age seventy, so you certainly don't want to do a regular IRA. You actually cannot. But um, let me ask you this: Tell me about about 
what would you open that Roth against? What type of income uh, would you uh, do? Are you do you actually have things not like Social Security income, but do you actually have things like uh, uh, employer, like your greeter at Costco or something like that, where you you are making some type of wage income? Okay, well, actually asking for a friend. No, this friend is 73, and he has more income than he can but uh, what's handle. But what's he, the source of that income? Is it, is it things like pensions and Social Security, or is it actually employer-based income? It's not. It's pensions, Social Security, military, disability. Yeah. Yep. It's no, no, no wages. No wages. No. Okay, so uh, this is a quick one. Uh, Tom, I'm going to have to hand it over. I know the rules, but you want me all right, yeah, yeah. So, um, if it's a regular IRA, you can't do it age seventy and a half or older. A Roth, you can technically do it. It's still though, you need to have the right type of income. So, from the government's perspective, something like a Social Security income, pension income, military income—that's not the right type of income. You need to have employer-based income uh, to actually uh, uh, open up the Roth and put that money in uh, there. But so, the answer to your question is there. there are in fact, uh, um, no age limit on the Roth IRA. It, what's he, he, your friend? It sounds like he's going to hit up against is actually the requirement of the type of income that he can contribute against. Uh, and it, unless he has, like, he's getting some money being a greeter at Costco or something like that, it doesn't have to be much money. He can put almost all of that into the Roth, um, but it has to be what's called the earned wage income. Is that helpful on that? That's great. Fantastic. Thanks so much for calling. I really appreciate it. And again, speaking of Tom Meyer, doing a great job answering our questions here at 1-844-WORTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Love to answer your question. Give me a call. Uh, and let me go to Bedford, calling from Illinois. How can we help you, Bedford? Hey there. Thanks very much for taking my call. Sure. I have a, I have a uh, couple – well, one main question, and then sure. if there's time, I'll ask the second one. The first one has to do with my parents who are facing possible very large medical bills. Mm. Um, and uh, I was wondering if there's any way that using a trust, whether it's revocable or irrevocable, can help in that uh, uh, basically reducing that burden. Yeah. And then the, so let me ask you this. I mean, are you trying to qualify your parents for something like the Medicaid program that has an asset test or SSI benefits? Like what is your uh, – it's not like the trust itself just creates income that helps you qualify for potentially for certain things. What's your motivation here? Uh, it, was, it was mentioned uh, as my mother was leaving this subacute care rehab place uh, where my dad is. Um, it was mentioned to her as uh, – she was asked if she had considered that, and so I'm not too sure of the details. Yeah, so typically, um, yeah, I mean, but uh, let me ask you this. How, uh, how, mu- how much assets uh, do your parents have, um, not including the house? The house doesn't matter here. The primary. Not including the house, yeah. roughly $2 million. In $2 million. Tradable assets. And I, I assume they're not trying to figure out how to game the Medicaid or SSI you know, benefits programs. They're, they're not going to want to go to nursing care and the Medicaid program or something like that. Is that right? I 
think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I would think so at that at those assets. They probably want to have a private pay. So, Tom, I mean, um, your thoughts, is there any particular reason for the revocable trust? Uh, it, it is important that it would be irrevocable in this it's case. It's got to be but, irrevocable. Yeah. It can't be revocable. Yeah. Five-year look back. Yeah. Going to seven, I think. I mean, they're yeah. really sticking their claws into everyone. So, I mean, the thought process might have been something to look at on the irrevocable side a few years ago, but right now it's going to be kind of tough to get yeah. those assets, um, you know, where you need to be. Yeah, and unless they're trying to game, and I shouldn't use the word game, but yeah. it is essentially game, the Medicaid um, uh, SSI program, um, it, there's not going to be a, a lot of value at those assets. In particular, if they had low assets that were not including the home, because the, the home is not part of the Medicaid test for long-term care, um, the asset test. So the, the Medicaid has this income test and it also has an asset test, but does not include your primary residence. Um, does include in, uh, things like vacation homes and things like that. Um, the, what you can potentially do is put that uh, any other assets into a, what's called an irrevocable trust. It has to be irrevocable because essentially they're transferring the property at that point to say you. That's why what becomes irrevocable is is pretty important. And so, um, but still, even if they do that, um, as Tom mentioned, there's a, currently a five-year look-back rule that basically says Medicaid will say, you know, we're not going to just look at your assets today. We're going to look at your assets, you know, several years ago, and uh, we'll, we'll actually use that in the asset test. Um, so where no revocable trust becomes really valuable is when you have pretty low assets and you really want to figure out how to pass those financial assets, the non-home assets, to a loved one and, and therefore jump on the Medicaid system or SSI for benefits. But you have some foresight. You know, you're doing it five years in advance and so forth. Or if you have really high assets. Now, the jobs the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act increased the state um, tax limit anyway, basically doubled it. Um, so they have way uh, less assets than what would be necessary there. Sometimes for estate planning purposes, you can put money into irrevocable trusts where it gains capital gains in that vehicle that is not going to be part of the estate um, for the estate tax. But again, we're far away from that. So there are kind of this middle ground uh, where I actually don't see a big obvious need for it. Maybe there's something going on in Illinois that I don't know about because um, some of that Medicaid it is actually um, paid for by both, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, federal government and split with the state. But again, if they're not trying to game the Medicaid system, I, there's not anything that jumps out at me as the reason why they would be using an irrevocable trust in this context, uh, either for tax management or qualification of of, uh, of benefits. So thanks so much for calling Bedford. Really appreciate it. Great call. Um, and again, speaking with Tom Maher, doing a great job answering questions here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to John, also calling from Illinois. How can I help you, John? Hi, how's it going? Can you sure. hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Great. Okay. Uh, just to lay down the groundwork, um, yep. me and my wife both max out our 401k. We max out the backdoor Roth and we max out the HSA. We have a solo 401k established. Huh. And if we do any extra 1099 work, we do profit sharing. But my question is about whole life. All right, um, man. You're, wow. You're, you're doing that well, John. And just be nice clear. Nice job. How old are you, John? 
Uh, 44. 44, okay. So I just want to make sure if you're above 50, sometimes people don't know that you can max out the 401k with a catch-up provision that allows you to contribute a little bit more. But okay. So you're, I assume you're okay. doing the, 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 not just the maximum to get your employer a match, but it sounds like you really know what you're doing. You're doing the maximum yeah, on their 18, own. 18,500, 19,000, the max. Yep, yep, good. So uh, go so, ahead. So my question is this. Is, you know, I purchased a whole life policy and it has something called uh, a paid up rider where yeah. the policy is for a half a million and you and it costs eight thousand a year. But if you put fifteen thousand in, then um, if you put fifteen thousand in, then the actual debt benefit increases. Yeah. So the rate of return on the. The rate of return on just the cash value isn't that much. It's like three to four percent, but the death benefit increases at about eight or nine percent a year. So I was thinking of the whole life in terms of maybe putting it in an irrevocable life insurance trust and using it as a mechanism to basically transmit assets to my kids. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of people aren't a big fan of the whole life policies, but. Is that way of thinking kind of not the right way to be looking at it? Well, how no. much assets are we talking about here, uh, John? It's, we're talking about half a million from the policy. I mean, are, it, so the, it, uh, talk to me about your other assets. How much are we talking about there? Um, the other assets, like in terms of what? In terms of like, like if you're in a drop, the yeah. If you you and your spouse were to you know uh, pass away suddenly today, uh, how much would be be left to, to your kids in the form of your four hundred one k HSA, Roth, house, everything else? Uh, maybe about one point four million. Okay, so you're well below kind of the um, uh, you know the the wealth tax kind of limits here. All right, so you're using uh, the the whole life. Um, you're trying to use it as something to pass to your kids. Let me also finally ask you, and I'll turn it over to Tom. Do you have any kids who are um, dependent on you, for, likely for the rest of their of your own natural life, and that is you know, sometimes uh, a, a kid with a special needs who is going to be dependent on you for the rest of your natural life. Are you in that situation at all? Um, well, my kids are less than five, both of them. So yeah, but there's not like, like a diagnosis. I don't know. Yeah, but know. there's no like diagnosis of severe autism or anything else that would make them dependent. No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Okay, and it probably is. I mean, probably, probably not, which is a, a good thing. So, uh, all right, Tom, your thoughts. John, first of all, great job. Um, yeah. So tell me, do you have any life insurance at all at this point? Uh, yeah, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm a physician, so I, I make a lot of income. My wife is like, if you pass, that's going to be a problem, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. 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 So, so, we're all worth so more dead, John. So, yeah. So, what is your income, and then um, how much outside this five hundred thousand uh, dollar whole life policy? How much other life insurance do you have? So I have about uh, I'm about half a million. Okay. My income. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, I have about five point five million in term, mm-hmm. and the five hundred thousand whole life. Okay. Right. Uh, did you buy the whole life? He did. You did. He's just yeah. wondering if, if he should put into the insurance trust. Well, yeah, and also if he should exploit the writer to make bigger contributions. Uh, so the five point five million. Let's talk about that for a second. The term life. Um, how many years is that term? The term is. I think some of it is. Tw- it's like till sixty-five. 
yeah. the term stuff, I think, ends around 65 for me. Okay. All right. So presumably you're going to be working maybe between 65 and 70, but at that point you also have saved up a lot of assets as well, and your kids will be off in college and their own yeah. doctors and so and, forth. And, and yeah. one thing you want to remember, too, is uh, actually I just went through this myself, is I had these term policies that I had maybe five years on, and I went ahead and I, I upped another 20 years on top of that. Mm. As it, while it was still cheap. Yeah, yeah. Before I got a little bit too old. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's so, John, go ahead, Don. Yeah, he's just using this as an investment product is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, John, I mean, my, my thoughts and the whole life, I would have to go through the, you know, more detailed calculations and so forth. Um, I, I don't see it as an obvious contender for um, what you're doing. Because if, first, I don't think you're going to have enough assets when you retire that you're going to have to worry about and, and enough non-liquid assets. In other words, if you had a business or a farm or something like that, and that would put you way over the state tax limit, and you're for whatever reason, you don't want to sell part of that asset to deal with the tax bill. In that case, a whole life policy can play some role. If you have a kid that is dependent on you for the rest of your natural life, um, that is often the case where we recommend whole life as well because um, you know it's not like a, it's a term of you know a dependency that's going to uh, kick off at some point. And so, what I I think you have quite a bit of uh, life insurance. I mean, unless you do have quite a bit of income, but at the same time, you know, it really is about expenses, not replacing income expenses. And there, it's it, it, you, f- you figure if you were to pass today, um, you're going to have a good almost seven million dollars or more of assets that you're leaving your kids and your spouse, and that is going to be you know a, quite a bit of assets that they can uh, consume from. Your kids can clearly get through college. Your spouse is likely going to be provided for. Um, the rest of her life. I, I So I don't see an obvious need for the whole life policy. I'll tell you one exception to this. We had somebody on the show uh, probably a year ago from TIAA, and I often bash on you know complicated products, uh, but this is a product that I had on the show only because, and I don't product promote or anything like that. I have no financial interest with these companies, uh, but they had a universal life policy that had no surrender fees and no commission charges. They actually use it as part of their asset management program. And even they and they, I thought they were uh, really terrific in how they presented it. They said you really should have an insurance need still for using this product. But the case scenario that I found that could be useful for a product like that would be if you're looking to do more safe investment, something like a bond type fund, um, and you just don't have any more capacity in your 401k, HSA, Roth, and so forth. You kind of max that out, but you're still trying to put a bunch of money away. Uh, Side, um, in kind of safe assets. Now, normally, that would those safe assets would be held in something like a, you know, if that would be in your taxable account, um, you know, that's not very tax efficient. Um, and so, but if that were the only option available to you, and you're still trying to get a lot more safe assets, um, that would be a scenario where you could use their uh, their universal life policy to basically, assuming that you still had an insurance need, to essentially uh, load up on that. 
because of the tax preference. It's essentially it's a safe-like asset. Uh, but even there, here's the scenario: is that, uh, and I know a couple of people uh, in that scenario. I happen to be in that scenario myself, in the sense that my taxable uh, brokerage accounts are much bigger than, say, 401ks and HSAs, things like that. So it, in my case, I actually have my 401ks and everything in 100% stocks because I, you know, don't want to. Uh, I'm sorry, 100% bonds. I've said just as a, the opposite, 100% bonds already, because uh, that's where I want to generate as much of my bond income in, in those tax-deferred vehicles. Then, then this taxable brokerage accounts where it's much larger, and I don't, you know, I, I normally would just hold stocks there, but I still want to hold some more lower-risk stuff, and I don't have any more capacity to put into like a 403b plan and things like that, max all that out. It's already 100% bonds to begin with. Um, and so I would have to put that into like my taxable brokerage account, and that's not tax efficient. In that case, it's something like universal life policy would potentially uh, be useful in that case. And that, and that was also a policy that had very low fees, no, no uh, surrender fees and things like that. So it's a very unusual product. But that's the scenario you really have to be on. First of all, you have to have still an insurable need. The second one is you really still have to have this situation where you've just basically, your, your 401k, HSA, Roth, and so forth, is already 100% bonds, and you're, uh, and therefore your taxable brokerage accounts are basically a bunch of stocks, and you just don't want to hold more bonds. You just feel misallocated because you still don't have enough bonds, even though all your 401k and HSA and so forth are 100% bonds. You have a, such a big taxable brokerage account, you still don't have enough bonds. Um, uh, and you w- would like to hold more bonds. I mean, you, the only place you can do it is in a taxable brokerage account. And so uh, in, in that case, I would recommend an insurance product. But those are pretty unusual cases uh, for doing that. And, they, and that was a particular uh, useful product for that purpose um, because of no commissions and fees and so forth. Your whole life policy, I don't think that's the position you're in right now. Um, it sounds like your taxable brokerage account is pretty small relative to your 401k, HSA, and Roth, and so forth. So and as a result, you're not being forced to hold bonds inside inside your taxable brokerage account. Is that right, John? No, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, hello, yeah, yeah, it is, but there's other things. One is that the my concern is right now I'm below the limit for transferring wealth, but it seems like depend on which way the wind blows, that may change based on what Congress does. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I live in Illinois. Illinois taxes at four million. Yeah. So true. And then if if one of us dies and it goes into my wife's estate, unless we set it up in a kind of like a trust. Trust. Way, yeah. Yeah. Then it doesn't end up becoming eight million for her. It's still four million for her. Uh, don't forget too. You, you know could I take mean? that. You could take your yeah. tone policies and tuck them into into an insurance trust also. As long as you don't die within, I think, what, three, three to five years? Yeah, I figure what exactly the role. And then you're going to have to look at Illinois law for that one, for Illinois taxes. Do keep in mind, state taxes tend to be much lower than federal for estates. Um, but also, um, Tom's exactly right. If you want to manage that, you don't have to use it for the whole life policy. You could just take your term policies um, and, and, and um, also put that as part of your estate planning inside the trust. So, you know, my own opinion is this is probably not, I would have to look at the numbers in a little more detail, that's probably not the right 
um, uh, approach uh, uh, for you, just based on the facts. Because again, I think you have to, it, the, the use case for this. It's either you know a very large, a non-liquid uh, asset that you don't want to sell uh, above the state uh, tax limit, or or a dependent child for the rest of your natural life, or this very unusual circumstance of a taxable brokerage account much larger than your tax deferred, and you've already put 100% bonds in your tax deferred accounts. But John, thanks so much for calling. I really appreciate it, and I uh, love those kind of more complicated situations that are often very, you know, um, uh, tricky to deal with, but they're important ones. Again, speak with Tom Meyer. Uh, uh, Meyer, uh, give us a call. Love to answer your questions here at one 844 That's 1-844-942-7866. So, Tom, uh, let me sneak in the question here, and that is, you know, what are you seeing, you know, today with your clients, obviously with a lot of market gyration and so forth? I mean, you've certainly allocated your clients accordingly to deal with those, you know, the ups and downs, but Anything kind of new going on that, you know, you, you Besides find? Besides the volatility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's amazing how we're, we're very strategic rebalancers, you know, very disciplined. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden we're having, you know, through our meetings and, and um, we look at our uh, portfolios and say, my God, we had a, year, a year's worth of returns in a month and a half. And it's time to rebalance yet again. And, I mean, with this volatility, we were rebalancing back into the market, right, in, in December. And now we have, have to look at certain asset classes, especially in the small cap and, and mid cap, which, you know, up 14, 15, 16 percent. You got to do what you got to do. And sometimes clients call up and say, why are you, why are you selling some of this? Yeah. It's the right discipline thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the greed, yeah, look, we're human. Right, sure. fears, temporary greeds, permanent. Oh yeah, and that's the it's almost a way to guarantee uh, subperformance over time is you know buy when the market's going up, sell when the market's going down. Dow Bar study, yeah, the, you yeah. know, per- and that study by the way is not perfect, but still it is. It, it brings is, it, it home, it, though. It, it does right? bring it home. Yeah, people lose a lot of money just trying to chase returns. And again, speak of Tom Meyer uh, here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to David calling in Michigan. How can you Help you, David. Hey, yeah, quick question. Do you guys think you can save too much for retirement? Yeah. Well, you're calling from Michigan, so, you know, you, you basically know you're going to need a lot of assets in Michigan because, you know, you have to make yourself feel good. Cold. When those Wolverines <laughs> go down <laughs> this year for the... But it's the 10th, 11th year in a row? I'm teasing. Of course, the answer answer is yes, you could have too much of anything. But, uh, Tom, your thoughts here? Uh, Yes. Uh, It's funny because we have a dichotomy of clients that save too much for a time and never spend a dime. And then the clients that, of course, didn't save enough and wanted to live their life. So it's a happy yeah. medium, no, no doubt about it. you got to enjoy your life, first and foremost. Yeah. And at the same time, you have to pay yourself. How old are you, David? 55. Oh, you're a young and how man. much do you have to save up for retirement? We only have a couple minutes left in the segment, but how much do you have to save up for retirement? Total cash. Total cash is about one point three right now. One point three. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't think you're on the, the high side right now. So I mean, we haven't gone through all your expenses and retirement date and so forth, but you're probably not over saving uh, right now. It is certainly uh, in my guess, but it's it's Tom's absolutely right. You could you could go too far and essentially suppress your consumption too much today. Here's what I would say though: is that a lot of times people really do underestimate how much they're going to need in retirement for a couple of reasons. One is that their out-of-pocket medical expenses are pretty high. Um, even if you're on Medicare, um, the average family couple going into retirement today will be 
they expected to pay about uh, $250,000 in uh, out-of-pocket medical expenses. That could be a Medigap policy. That could be um, some other form of out-of-pocket medical expenses. Um, and, and also, you know, you could live a long time, too. And so a lot of times people aren't, you know, well annuitized. Um, either they don't have a lot of Social Security and so forth. But also keep in mind just the state of the country. I mean, these programs, entitlement programs, are massively underfunded right now. Um, Social Security, Medicare, and so forth. So, I, you know, uh, I, I, don't be too pessimistic and assume that you're going to get nothing. But I often tell people, you know, maybe assume 70% of what you, you know, you currently think is being projected uh, for you. But, Tom, any uh, last parting thoughts there? Well, I, I, I'll tell you what throws water into this whole plan. Yeah. I mean, of our retirement plans is yeah. debt. So, debt, David, yeah. as debt. Dave, Dave, Dave? Uh, any debt? Yes. Debt? Yep. Do you have any debt? No, no debt. No, no debt. Well, no there you debt. go. Just one minute. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so Dom, I mean, it sounds like he's doing uh, certainly pretty good. Uh, you know, I would say, Dave, David, I mean, just the fact that you asked that question, I think, means that you're pretty fiscally responsible. But, you know, certainly uh, continue to keep expenses low, keep saving aggressively, and, you know, manage that retirement date. I mean, you don't have enough assets, but likely, just guessing, if you wanted to spend a couple thousand dollars in, uh, today, uh, uh, a month, you know, on expenses, probably not, you know, in a position to be retiring now. But, you know, uh, come age 65, you know, you could be. But another thing to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, you probably do want to postpone your claiming on Social Security till age 70. Most people are much better off uh, uh, doing that. And it also provides a, a price index annuity that's very hard to get into, into the private market. So thanks so much for calling, David. And uh, that's all we got for this week. I'd love to answer questions here. Uh, give me a call next week here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six. Tom, fantastic job. Once again, thanks for coming back on the show. And you can find out Tom uh, by going to his website, which is MeyerCG.com, MeyerMC.com. E-Y-E-R-C-G dot com. Also, thank my other wonderful guests today, Sandra Block of Kiplinger and audio engineer Jeff Simmons and uh, Michelle Stucker, my producer. See you next Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.